Welcome to Puto Politics, the political podcast of the San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, Metro columnist, and I'm joined by Nancy Prayer Johnson, deputy editorial board editor, uh, Metro editor Greg Jefferson. And uh, thank you all for joining the Wimby Week edition of, uh, of our podcast. It's been four days since the Spurs made it official and drafted Victor Wimbanyama, the 19-year-old French phenom, with the first pick in the NBA draft. And I don't think the city is really close to kind of coming down from that high yet. It might might be a while. Um, so there's obviously a lot going on with the, with sports and the Spurs right now. There's also a lot going on with San Antonio City Council. And one day before the Spurs drafted uh, Wemby, um, our guest today was sworn in uh, as the new council member for District 1, representing downtown and, and much of the city's urban core. Um, our guest is uh, a former teacher, an education consultant, first-time candidate who defeated an incumbent in District 1. Uh, there were nine incumbents on the ballot this year in San Antonio, and eight of them won, and the only one that didn't was in District 1. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the difficulty of beating an incumbent and the fact that that our guest today did it. So, Cor, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Absolutely. Um, one of the things that, that, that struck me about your campaign is that you got in the race relatively early. I think it was last fall. And I have to think that that was helpful to you. You were raising money pretty early on. You'd never run before, and you were going to be challenging an incumbent. What what was it that made you decide? Did you have a, an epiphany where you said, this is something I'm going to do? No, so I'd actually been thinking about running for a few years. I did leadership San Antonio class of 44, mm -hmm. and I'd been thinking about it since then. And so um, at that time, it was Roberto's third term, and we had, you know, mm -hmm. thought that it would go sure. into a fourth, and this would be an open seat. So we had even talked about with, and, and I say we, I, I have a lot of advisors that I ask, and when you're new to this, you have to listen to folks that so you have to you know, get get all the advice sure. that you can. And so uh, we had thought about, because my name is unique and I'm, uh, you know, not a known candidate, that it, we could have even run the last cycle just to get some name recognition, but we decided not to. And so in October, mm -hmm. when kind of events unfolded, I thought it was a great time to announce that. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna put our hat in the race, and we're gonna go full speed ahead. And uh, you know, as you said, there are candidates who sometimes in these situations will run to kind of build a name recognition for a future run. Did you really believe at that point that you could do what you ended up doing and winning this thing? Well, I think we we started really early. To your point, that was a huge advantage, and you always you always go into a game thinking you're going to win, right? Sure. Positive mindset. So we went in thinking we could do it, and if we did everything that we could to make sure we were on the ground every day, working really hard, and so we went in with a positive mindset. But we're you know extremely excited about the results. You've talked about. You know, you, I, I know you knocked on thousands. How, how many? What was the final count as far as the? I didn't. I haven't gotten the final final yet, but I was around forty five hundred. Um, and you've talked about what you were hearing from people, and and you've emphasized uh, both during the campaign and since you got elected. Um, there you are. Um, that uh, you were going to emphasize uh, infrastructure, public safety, uh, trying to help encourage the business development in in District One. On the infrastructure front, as we all know, uh, there have been construction projects uh, on North St. Mary's and Broadway that have, uh, have caused a lot of hardship, for, particularly for businesses in the area. What, what do you have in mind? I, I know you've talked a little bit about what you, what you want to do to deal with that infrastructure. 
challenge? Yeah, so we're doing two things. The first is having someone on staff that can answer questions, that can ask tough questions of folks at Public Works and the folks at the city and hold folks accountable at the same time while communicating with our uh, constituents. The first, our, our team slogan is over communication because we really want everyone to know exactly when there's going to be a road closure, how long it's going to take for them to finish construction and how they can uh, mitigate around that so they're not late to work or kids aren't late to school in the fall. And so we are doing everything we can to make sure we have a strong staff that understands infrastructure. I don't have an engineering background, but we are actually uh, interviewing with folks right now that do so that they can ask those tough questions. Um, and then the second thing that we're doing is we are excited that we have dollars that are available to actually support some streets and sidewalk projects already. It was the number one thing I heard at the doors. People just want to not hit the head on the roof of the car when they're driving down their street. Mm -hmm. They want they don't want to have to walk through a puddle of water to get to, the, to their door. So we are going to do participatory budgeting and so invite our residents in to, um, to vote on certain projects that they want to address immediately. And we're going to hopefully get that started as soon as August. Are you going to be uh, pressing public works to speed up their work on St. Mary's? Yeah, so St. No, I mean, strip, yeah. Yeah, so uh, St. Mary's, excitingly, is almost done. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, holding our breath, so not speaking <laughs> too soon. Yep. Yeah, I've heard. Yeah, yeah so we should. Good. Yeah, it does look really good. They're at the mm -hmm. last stages of okay. just painting, and there's some uh, manholes that are still haven't been fully uh, mm -hmm. covered. Mm -hmm. uh, but we are at the last stages, and we've been told that it should be done by August, mm -hmm. um, which is really exciting mm -hmm. uh, because we want to start continuing. And one of the things I talked about on the trail was repairing some of that trust that has been broken between mm -hmm. neighbors and business owners there. And so we're working on uh, starting to, uh, to do that. Because they helped your campaign quite a bit, right? Yes. I think um, there at the end, there was events all across St. Mary's. So you have the support <laughs> of all of those clubs and places there. Right? And having Chad Carey on your side. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you definitely was, don't want him impressive. against you. Yeah, I mean, he, <laughs> yeah, he's like a one-man social but media I think it army, was because you know? of the construction. Right. Or maybe oh, the yeah. noise ordinances, too, in a way, some of that. Yeah, I think it was um, more so just like not... What, one thing that we want to always do is hear both sides of a situation mm -hmm. before you make a decision, right? And I think mm -hmm. that's really important to know that um, our business owners and our neighborhoods should never be pitted against each other. And that's what the feeling was. Yeah. It was very... There was so much animosity that had been built up. It was up. the worst that... I mean, there have been problems before but this this was the worst that i remember it where, where there was really a sense of like and, us and, versus them yeah and and mm -hmm. whether it was uh, you know fairly or not i i'm i don't know that i'm in a position to really judge this but i think there was a perception among some of the people who owned businesses who owned clubs that the the incumbent was maybe against them or always sort of taking the other side and i know that's a that's a difficult thing to balance out yeah, for sure. Because uh, when you think about it, right, the people that are putting in the votes are the people that are living in those neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. And we also want to make sure we're not negatively impacting their quality of life. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we know that those business uh, businesses are providing jobs for so many community members. We had a lot of folks that were actually working in those businesses that live in District 1. I knocked mm -hmm. on one of the doors of one mm -hmm. and she was telling me about how difficult it's been with the construction and her livelihood, which is, you know, tips and people that are coming in has been really hurt. And so, and they've been hurt for a few years because we're coming off of COVID where mm -hmm. um, you know, th that industry was hit really hard. Mm -hmm. And so, at, so we have to figure out a way to have those two collaborate with each other. And we know we like a lot of the community members there go to the restaurants on the strip, right? Mm -hmm. So I had talked to neighbors that the new Curry Boys is, is a beautiful building there. And they got that approved with the Neighborhood Association because it's an asset for that community. And so we want to make sure that we're continuing to, to help build that bridge. 
And the parking, there's a plan for parking there, right? Yeah, so there's a surface lot that's already been approved that's going to be um, built there, and then we're going to continue. Where, where's that going to be? Right behind Tycoon Flats. Okay. Um, or next to it, I guess. And so, we, but we've already been, just came out of a conversation this morning where we're hitting the ground running and talking about what we need to do there because that's a real, especially on some of those strides, side streets, they're so narrow mm-hmm. um, that it's super easy to, you know, nick someone's mirror or, or and the trash there. That's another situation. So the two things that we saw worst of was the trash people, you know, throwing things. And so we want to, there's not even a lot of receptacles on the strip. So um, want to address trash and parking. Mm-hmm. I have to say I'm a little jealous because, or a lot jealous that St. <laughs> Mary's is almost done because I live on Broadway now. Uh, my husband and I moved to an apartment on Broadway in Jones. I've written about it before. And we had this, um, this vision of living downtown that, that has not, um, come to fruition here. <laughs> And so, like, we had this vision of during Fiesta, and we got married during Fiesta. Um, so we got, we had this vision of watching Fiesta from our balcony and, um, you know, the dog park across the street, having a beautiful view. And really, it looks like an earthquake happened on that street. Um, at one point, it was completely, um, you know, that they redid the asphalt and they opened up the street and then it was much better. And then all of a sudden, it was, I, it was about 6 a.m. and you could just hear the jackhammer just start breaking it up again. And we were, I mean, we could not believe it. Um, I almost took a video, but I didn't. I was just, we were pretty angry about it. So we're standing on our balcony watching this happen and they tore up the street again that they had already paved. Um, And you have already given me an explanation, but can you just kind of catch us up and just kind of explain what happened there that they would pave a street, you know, and and then break it up again? Yes. So to you and all the other downtown (laughs) residents, stick with us. It will be the beautiful gorgeous downtown that's activated and has all the things that we know we need in a downtown to live, work, and play in. Because uh, I truly believe we are moving towards that. And unfortunately, us right now and residents, and I don't live downtown anymore, but uh, the the folks have to kind of stick through the suffering. Um, But that doesn't mean we can't make it easier and it shouldn't be at least communicated as to what's happening Mm -hmm. and it should seem logical. Mm -hmm. Uh, So when I talked to to the infrastructure team or the public works team, excuse me, what they explained to me was they were working on utilities first. So they were working on the saws work um, and the plumbing work underground and they wanted to close off the street so it, not the entire street wouldn't stay closed because it was closed for it was open for so long mm-hmm. and now they are working on burrowing the utilities and so rather than keeping the whole street closed while they burrow all the utilities they're going block by block to do that and so the first one they hit was your block which is Broadway and Jones and um, so we were sure somebody <laughs> messed up I'm like I'm no engineer but somebody messed up <laughs> it's here this is super interesting mm-hmm. <laughs> because now at least the south part of the street is open so you can kind of access from around and then they're mm-hmm. tackling this corner and then they'll go south but mm-hmm. uh, it still doesn't make it any less frustrating <laughs> it's it's good that you're asking the questions though it's good to at least know what's happening I was able the last time my husband complained this weekend <laughs> um, it's a daily thing and he sits out there on the balcony and watches it <laughs> and I was able to explain it at least having the answer is mm-hmm. It makes it a little bit better. So when is it going to be finished? Uh, I have not gotten a response on. We'll work on it. Next time I talk to you. There you go. Have a response. As I mentioned, one of the other the uh, other things you prioritized is public safety. You come out in support of a, a plan to add 100 police officers to, to SAPD. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some other things that you have in mind as far as 
you know, dealing with public safety in District 1. So two things on that. One is adequate street lighting. Um, we were walking. So actually in the winter, because I started walking in January, I got to see all the seasons. And that mm -hmm. was really mm -hmm. interesting, or almost all the seasons. It feels like we don't exactly have four seasons in San Antonio. At least both daylight savings <laughs> times, I guess I could say. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and so in the winter, uh, when you're walking, it gets dark incredibly early. Um, and so if yeah. you are working at night anywhere, it feels really unsafe when you're walking, even at 6.37 p.m. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think making sure that ev all of our streets have adequate street lighting. There was one street in particular where they have a certain distance marker where you can use to, or that like qualifies for additional street lighting. Mm -hmm. And if you're at the top, if, if you're on a hill, that marker should be different mm -hmm. versus the top and the bottom of a hill because that the light doesn't spread mm -hmm. In the same way. Mm -hmm. And so we don't have that many hilly streets in mm -hmm. District 1, but we do have some. So making sure we have adequate street lighting because we know when there is, it's data proven scientifically where if you have additional street lighting, safety is, is perceived as higher. I want to talk a little bit about your history. Now, you, you and your family emigrated from India at, when you were at a young age. How old were you when you? Uh, three. Three. Mm -hmm. um, and um, you, you ended up I, studying uh, political science and public policy at Rice, I, I think. But I was curious because it, it, I, I'm always curious to ask anyone who gets involved in in politics or runs for office, you know what what it was um, because it's not the it's not a, a typical thing for a kid to take an interest in public policy or, or, or politics. Um, and I was curious when that that happened for you and what it was that, that got you interested. So actually, the reason I studied political science and policy studies was because I wanted to focus on civil rights law. Mm -hmm. So September 11th, terrorist attacks were a huge moment for me in my childhood. Mm -hmm. uh, my both my brother and my father are turban six. And so seeing the the hatred, yeah, that's my father there in the picture, um, seeing the hatred kind of in the community and folks telling us, go back to your country was really hurtful for me because to me, this was the, I, I came over when I was three. I was, I'm a, I was a US citizen by this point. So it was my country. And so I really wanted to figure out a way to help create um, justice and social justice and civil rights justice. And so that's why I studied political science. I didn't actually think I was gonna ever be going into politics or go into government. So yeah. um, this, I ended up deciding, I did an internship after I graduated and I had focused on civil rights initially and then went to human rights. So I actually studied or did some work in Rwanda, mm -hmm. um, did some work in India with a human rights genocide that had happened in both of those countries and found that uh, working in those fields takes, it's a lot, it could be a whole lifetime before you see any kind of justice. And so I wanted to be on the front end of the work in the best way to create change is by uh, working in education because then you get to shape the minds of our future generation. And so that's what I did. So then I served in public education for 15 years and mm -hmm. and then you, you all have heard my story a little bit we, after yeah. that. I, I wanted to ask you about that because I, I uh, as you know, I mean, one of the, the big issues that your opponent used uh, in the campaign um, was the fact that you're, you're the organization that you, that you founded and have run uh, has worked with charter schools. And uh, that that was turned into kind of a big issue. We've talked about it on the podcast, but I want you to give, give because I, I think there were some depictions, you know, that came from that that you were somehow an enemy of traditional public schools, 
or that in some, you know, because you were also receiving money from a, from a PAC, uh, a pro charter schools PAC, that there was some kind of, uh, there was some something going on here, you know, that this was some, some kind of uh, effort to undermine uh, traditional public schools. And I wanted you, you to get a chance to, to talk a little bit about that because I, uh, I, my sense was that you, you kind of didn't, didn't necessarily want to kind of get, you know, get admired in, in all that kind of stuff during the campaign. Um, wh what would you say to people who, who might still have some um, concerns about that? Yeah. So the first thing I would say is that city council doesn't have purview over education. Right. Um, it's not the reason I chose to run for city council. It actually, I was visiting a school. So the district I work with most right now in the city is Edward ISD mm -hmm. on the west side. I was visiting a school. This was when I was in leadership science learning too, so about like four years ago. And I saw some amazing teachers and mm -hmm. amazing school leadership working incredibly hard and trying their very best to help support these kids. And the school by the state system was still failing. So then you start thinking, if these teachers and these school leaders are working so incredibly hard, what is it that's, that, that they're really challenged by? And they're challenged by 97% plus students that are free and reduced lunch. That community has consistently been underserved. Access to healthcare, access to vision. If a, a kid can can't see the board. If they're at home sick, they won't be able to learn. If their parents are working two jobs and and you know and constantly working to get food on the table, that's a lot of trauma and um, hardship that that family is going through. And so I decided to run for city council because I really wanted to work on addressing a big challenge that we have as a city, which is our economic segregation, and wanting to make sure that access to opportunity is not limited to your zip code. And so that's the message that I was sharing throughout the whole campaign. I support support all public education options. Mm. And I want kids and families, regardless of where they live, to have a great school to choose from and one that works best for them because we know all kids don't learn the same way. Mm. And so creating school choice options like a lot of school districts are doing now, the Advanced Learning Academy, for example, is one that I first worked on mm. when uh, I was with City Education Partners. And that provides a school choice option for kids that need a more project-based learning environment. So I think it's a great tool for parents to be able to say, okay, what environment does my kid need? And I can get this for free at the cost of public education, which is nothing, mm -hmm. even though I can't afford to go live in a different neighborhood or um, a different community or afford private education. Just for the record, though, you're not for vouchers. Correct. Vouchers. So this is a really, the other challenging layer to this, right, yeah. was our governor was really pushing for private vouchers. But the challenge with private vouchers, unlike public school choices, public school choices available to all mm -hmm. versus private vouchers relies upon private schools to accept them and they're not regulated. So mm -hmm. you can teach anything you want. Um, and, you know, you can, sure. um, you're not, you don't have to give students tests. Mm -hmm. um, you don't like the state tests aren't required. People sometimes conflate that though. Hundred percent. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So that, that's why I keep saying, like, I support public school choice because it's accessible for all. Mm -hmm. The one role that the city has had in education has been pre-K for SA with the Julian Castro's program. What do you, what are your uh, what do you, is your uh, your sense about how well uh, that's that's functioned in Santa? I mean, it's a great program. When you go visit those campuses, and I know we have four of them, every time you go in, you see kids doing exactly what you want them to do at the pre-K, at, at pre which is 
um, learning those skills that will help them be successful once they enter the K-12 system. Mm -hmm. One of the partnership schools that I actually uh, have worked to support in Edgewood is the Pre-K for SA program that actually goes to second grade there. So they have kids that start off in the traditional Pre-K for SA and sometimes will even transition over to Edgewood so that Mm -hmm. they can have a couple of extra grade levels of early childhood education in that same format because it's a great model and it works. So I I think they're doing a wonderful, and it's also incredibly diverse and represents our city, uh, which, because, you know, that's what we want is for um, inclusive environments that show kids what's possible when you're learning from people with all different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And so definitely want to continue to support that. And they have a huge waiting list. So we have a skill, um, skill conversation to have with them, which is why I think the partnership that they're doing with Edgewood is uh, wonderful there. Well, you, you know, you've talked about wanting to close opportunity gaps and make and, and create an environment where people can do better in school and, and use your position on city council to kind of create that that environment. How do you do that? I mean, it's, I know it's a it's a huge question and it's not an easy not an easy thing to, to address. But what are some some solutions that you see? Yeah, so one of the things that we've already gotten a chance to vote on and approve in the first three days of being in this position is the ARPA funds. Mm -hmm. That was a really big way that the city had a chance to support some of the nonprofit organizations that are doing work. And the the funds that we supported on Thursday were specifically dedicated to mental health for at-risk youth. And so there was a program with the SAISD Foundation that was a partnership with communities and schools. So the more that I think we can support organizations and the same thing, Jewish Family Centers had a partner with Casa and Thrive Center through Center, and so ensuring that we're showing helping these organizations that are creating partnerships and um, wanting to help our most at-risk youth is a great way that we can help support. And, and on top of that, also being. Uh, you know, going back to the communication standpoint, a lot of times we have great programs that aren't getting into the hands of the people that really need it. So in our office, we always want to be doing community outreach so that our residents know exactly what they have access to and are connected to services. Mm-hmm. We want to be the the place that residents can call and say, hey, I need X, Y, Z. Where do I go to get it? And have that information readily available for them. Mm-hmm. I think some people would be surprised at how large your district is. How many miles is it? And from where to where? So I don't know the total mileage, but the locations, neighborhoods yeah. are. So Lavaca is our southernmost, right? Mm-hmm. Lavaca, King William. And then we go all the way through all of downtown mm-hmm. and you go up the Pearl. And so going up 281, we also have the quarry on the east side. Mm-hmm. And then the northernmost boundaries are Greater Harmony Hills. And then um, by the HGB on I-10 and um, Wurzbach south. And then on the west side, it's Fredericksburg and the where Maverick Elementary School school is kind of is the most um, northwest point and then all the way down Fredericksburg everything east of Fredericksburg that's quite that's quite yeah, the district I would I would be driving like I, I found myself during the campaign driving on you know on, on I-10 north of 410 and yeah. being reminded like this is this is district, this is district one. one I was seeing really diverse there, yeah because you know, I, I really don't think so of many it. different issues um, one that comes to mind is the migrant resource center um, and one of I, I believe Mario Bravo at one point there was some talk about him him maybe wanting to move, um, get that moved out of your district uh, for the Migrant Resource Center. I know Catholic Charities now runs it. Um, but what is your, and I know that that is also something that I mean, we've all heard um, a lot of complaints from the people in the neighborhood there as well. Um, what is your take on that? 
First and foremost, I think we've got to get community engagement right. So from, I always talk about this in the school's perspective, if we wait, if we just hold true to the come to us for information perspective or strategy, mm -hmm. we'll never truly build strong relationships in the community. So I think one of the challenges there was, yes, we had to make a decision incredibly fast, but we didn't um, engage the community enough to understand what was really happening and what the purpose of it was. Mm -hmm. I think there's also a challenge with not having received our federal funding reimbursement for that program yet. And so we have to make sure that we are getting support from the federal government there. Um, and at the end of the day, those migrants need a place where they can come get their get what the short term solutions that they need and then be on their way. It was never intended to be a long term facility. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it, ensuring that that holds true and that we're helping them get to where they need to get to and closing the loop there is important. Do you, and I'm not sure what the numbers uh, have been recently with, you know, with Title 42 going away and so on. But um, do you think that this facility, wherever, regardless of where it, it is, is it is just big enough for the for the need? Our our center currently, I don't think. I mean, we're already at over capacity, right? There's already spillage around the uh, the community, and so we do have to figure out what a plan B is for the mm -hmm. if we have an increase in migrants that are coming in. But just to be clear, I mean, your um, this isn't a permanent solution, uh, but for now, you're you're okay with it on San Pedro. Yes, and I heard actually both sides of the story from <laughs> residents. There are, and especially residents around there, yes, there were residents that were frustrated because they didn't feel like their voice was heard and mm -hmm. it's in their neighborhood and they didn't get to really provide input on the in mm -hmm. onset. Mm -hmm. And then there were, since we knocked so many doors, there's also a lot of residents that really support it, that really want to help these folks and want to make sure that they're getting on their way and getting the resources that they need. And so yeah. um, we we are we are, are compassionate San Antonio, right? That's our, uh, yeah. our city. So, And the truth of it is, if we didn't have some kind of facility, I mean, the, the, it's not going to prevent people from coming. Yeah. They're going to be here. And, and you know, is, is there a place where they can actually access services yeah. and they can have shelter or, or are they just going to be in San Antonio with, uh, without that? Without that, yeah. Um, Kind of tying things back to what I mentioned at the beginning, um, the Spurs are going to have this superstar player, and it does it does intersect with city policy a little bit because um, there's kind of this feeling that you know his his star power um, is going to just it's it's going to raise the stakes for the Spurs, and that there will be a a, a push for an upgrade and 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 maybe a new. Um, arena for the Spurs. I mean, and maybe something, you know, I think that even throughout the history of the AT&T Center, there has been some, um, there have been people who've thought it would make more sense to have an arena downtown. Um, you know, I, again, we, this, this is all speculation at this point, but do you have any thoughts on the possibility that uh, of a new arena for the for the Spurs at some point and, and having it, if it was, if it ends up downtown, it's gonna be your district. Yeah. So I haven't heard anything yet, but what I'm excited about is both having this French duo, like uh, they said, CD said sure. on Saturday, and <laughs> and the excitement that that provides for the community. I've mm -hmm. always said, if you go to the, the even the 18th Center right now, it's incredibly diverse, and I think it's mm -hmm. a great representation of what our city looks like. And we have to make sure because everyone loves the Spurs, um, and so we have to make sure that we do whatever we do, even continuing with the 18th Center that we encourage and they do a good. The Spurs are a great organization in giving back to the community. They do. Fantastic. 
mm-hmm. community nights and making sure we continue that because mm-hmm. the most important thing I think whenever a such conversation like this occurs is how will the entire community be able to access it and who's actually going to benefit from this and so if this is truly if it's a plan that creates access for all then of mm-hmm. course we want to support it but we have to make sure we're doing a good job of one mitigating any negative impact that might occur and to really ensuring we're doing everything possible to make it as accessible as possible right i've always talked about um h park right now in yanaguana and if you look at the diversity mm-hmm. there and they were actually telling me there's some data to prove this that mm-hmm. right now it's just based on what when i go every weekend and see but there's data that shows that h park is actually utilized really well by everyone across mm-hmm the city. And so downtown is not just district ones. Downtown is everybody's. Mm-hmm. And so we want to make sure that we're constantly sharing the that with our council colleagues, but also the community. So they see it's not just district one, your district one representative that is a, a key person in in supporting the growth, mm-hmm. uh, but it's all of us. Right. Along similar lines, you've got uh, a new ownership group with the San Antonio missions, and they've been pretty clear about wanting uh, a downtown baseball scene. Have you been approached by Randy Smith or any other investor in that group about a downtown facility? I haven't yet. I'm sure okay. it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <But. laughs> uh, well, what are your thoughts on it? I mean, you, you kind of know what their desire is. What, do you, what are your thoughts about public financing, providing some kind of public financing for a downtown baseball stadium? I think we have to be careful when we're giving uh, huge amounts of incentives to investor groups. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we have to, again, support in a way that we can, right? Mm-hmm. Whether that's partnerships or uh, creating community events. The, I mean, the missions, again, another, if you go to a baseball game, another great area to bring people together. So things that we know we want mm-hmm. our community and uh, people to visit with each other and enjoy and support and celebrate our, our athletes and have that entertainment, but at the same time, make sure we're strategically doing so and, and not taking away money from our street sidewalks and drainage system mm-hmm. to do that because that's the, uh, like, I'm going to, I feel like I'm going to sound like a, uh, I can't think of an analogy. I was, uh, but sound really repetitive uh, saying this. The number one focus that we want to do in District 1 is making sure that we're keeping people like you in downtown versus, or in our neighborhoods um, because of the infrastructure needs that they have that are not pushing them out. It's always tough for council members um, when they get elected in May or June and you have July off and then you come back and there's a proposed budget that's, 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 uh, you know, presented to you. And uh, so it's 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 a challenge to kind of get up to speed and, and to kind of have your voice heard when it comes to the to the city budget. Are there things that you have in mind right now that you that you want to to emphasize or try to make sure uh, end up in, in the, the budget? Yeah, so we've already been looking at some breakdowns of the different infrastructure budgets that we have, and we will be pushing that work for um, the budget cycle also wanting to work on another low barrier shelter for our chronically homeless folks because we know that's an important need in District 1 as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then supporting our public parks and spaces because there are some uh, some areas in District 1 that we really want to recreate support for neighborhoods in those parks. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what we're focusing on. Also, I just want to say that I think this whole July off thing is a misnomer <laughs> because if you look at my calendar, it's already pretty packed. No, I, should say no, I should say no council meetings, right? That's probably, uh, the, I, I, as I was 
saying yeah. that, I was thinking you're probably not really going to get July off. No, uh, we are, I am super excited. I'm going to shout out and plug this because for July 4th, my uh, best friend is on the Team USA flag football team. So she's going to be representing our country in Charlotte. So we will be there cheering her on as they compete in the world championships uh, against five or six other countries. So that's really exciting. And she's a San Antonian that works at Rackspace. So. Well, well, good luck with everything, Councilwoman Secor. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And everyone uh, listening in, hope you're doing well. We'll be back soon uh, with another episode. Take care. <laughs> <laughs>